the ones that we're going to pick and try to lead to the Savior. So bow with me, please. Thank you, Father, for this time of gathering for worship. Thank you for every person that you and your providence have brought here today. We pray that your word and the worship of this gathered assembly will minister to every heart. We pray that this may be the day of saving grace for sinners and that this may be the day of becoming stronger in the grace of the Lord for saints. So have your way in us, we pray. We thank you for Dara and pray that you will continue to strengthen her and enable her to walk with you, Lord Jesus. And we pray for the Daras and the others in our lives that you would bring somebody into our heart, somebody into our mind, and that we might be an instrument used by you to lead sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. We are in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7 this morning. The scripture reading is chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. I remind you that this Old Testament portion is God's own holy word. Please follow. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. And now for the sermon. Here's a sermon title. We don't usually give you a sermon title. Here's a sermon title today. Here's where we're going today. We're going to see another recurring theme in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's that they were a holy people, and they had a holy place, and they were to seek God in that holy place. And I want you to notice that everything that we're going to see said of them today is something that's also said of us in the New Testament. So this that we're seeing in Deuteronomy today was them, but it's also you. 
We, you, you are to be a holy people by the grace of God. Are you saved? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus? Are you regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Do you love the kingdom of God? Are you awaiting the return of the Lord? You're going to be in heaven forever, not hell. Then you are one of these. You are, you are God's special treasured holy people on this planet. And also, just as they had a holy place, and again and again we're going to see, they were to seek that holy place and worship in that holy place and gather in that holy place and make their offerings to the Lord in that holy place. So we are now, you are individually and we are corporately and all believers on the planet are together that holy place in our day. So we're going to look at how God speaks to them about they being a holy people and a holy place, and we're going to make applications to ourselves and what does it mean why does it matter what's the point of this we're going to be looking at that so a holy people and a holy place let's start off with the holy people it's a recurring theme it's another recurring theme no i'm not going to make you read every reference to it but here are some of the good ones deuteronomy 7 6 for you are a people holy to the lord your god and i just want to pause already and remind you this is God speaking to you about you if you're saved by the grace of the Lamb. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. You are his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, Deuteronomy 7, 6, you are a holy you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now the Hebrew word for holy is the word kadosh. That will not be on the quiz. There is no quiz. You don't have to know that. The New Testament equivalent is the word hagias or hagion, depending on who you're talking about exactly. And those two words, Old Testament or New, they mean to set apart. Something that is set apart and belonging to God is holy to the Lord. We might illustrate it, and you've probably heard various illustrations, but here's my little one that just I imagined this week. So let's imagine you're a jeweler. I don't think we have any jewelers in our church, so that would require some imagination. But let's imagine you're a jeweler, and you get pieces of jewelry that come into the shop all the time, and every now and then one of them is pretty special. And this ring comes in. Man, it's the most exquisite exotic, amazing, beautiful ring you've ever seen, and you say, you know what, I can do this, I'm going to do this. That one I'm setting apart. It's not even for sale. That one is for my wife. And you wrap it in a special thing, and you put it in your special safe, and you lock it and keep it in there till the appointed time, whatever that means. And that one is set apart from all the other humans who might want a ring, from all the other customers who might come into your store. No, that ring's not for them. That ring is set apart for your wife. Now that illustrates kind of what this word holy means when God says you are a people holy to the Lord. You are like that ring. Out of all peoples on the planet, you are something special to God in heaven. That's what this means. This is what God is telling them, and this is what God is telling you if you're in Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you are a holy saint. The word also means saint, by the way. In the New Testament, the word saint is the most common term to describe believers. It's used 67 times. Rarely are we, and only by kind of circuitous route, are we sometimes called sinners. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am, present tense, chief. 
All right, Paul identifies himself as a sinner. But our main identification in the New Testament is we are saints. What is a saint? Someone who's been made holy by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. So God told them they were, as a people, as a nation, holy to the Lord. They were set apart from the Girgashites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the other ites and ites and ites. They were a holy people unto the Lord. And this is what New Testament saints are. This is who you are. Out of all humanity, God sets you apart. But not only does he say you're a people holy to the Lord, look at the verse again later on. He says, you are, God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are his treasured possession. Now, what should I invent this time? We did a ring. We need another invention. Ah, I got a couple. I had to decide on one. Here's the one I'm going to do. So I have a treasured possession. I really do. It's a grandfather clock. When did I get that clock? 19 years ago at my 50th birthday. When I turned 50, my wife and our sons and my father, they all conspired together and they bought me a beautiful, I mean really nicely made, quality grandfather clock. I didn't know this. We're all having dinner on my birthday in our dining room and there's a knock at the door and these guys have a truck out there and they're carrying in a clock. And I'm like, what? What is going on? And they said, happy birthday. This is your grandfather clock. And every week since then, I treasure that. Every week, I wind it. There's a day of the week where I notice the weights are down too far. Time to wind them up again. I wind it, and I dust it, and I take care of it, and it doesn't need any pampering. But I love it. I don't walk through that room one time, but I stop and look at it. And what does it mean to me? Well, it means love. It means craftsmanship. It means family. It means beauty. It tick-tick-tocks. It chimes on the quarters and all that stuff. I just love, you're getting the idea, aren't you? I love that clock. So it is a good candidate for a treasured possession that I have. Like if the house is on fire, can we get the clock out? I want to save the clock. Now, it's that kind of idea that is in this. So not only are you a people who are set apart unto God, but now here he is looking at you, and he sees you in Christ, and he sees them as his old covenant chosen people, and he says, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, you're my special treasure. So I've set you apart from me, and you are a special treasure. And, and why? It's emphatic. Let's look at Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. God clarifies why he did this. Why did he choose them? Why did he set them apart? Why were they his special treasure? And he basically says it wasn't because of anything in them. It was by the sovereignty of his gracious choice. That's why. Let's look at it. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. There wasn't anything special about you. But it is because the Lord loves you. It's sovereign love. It's sovereign, saving love. God looked upon you and determined to save you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ because he loves you with a chosen, everlasting love. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why were these people set apart to be holy to the Lord? Why were they the treasured special possession of God in heaven? Simply because he deemed it to be simply because it was his will and his sovereign purpose, and he set his love upon them, and he chose them, not because they were anything, 
not because they were special, not because they were great, they weren't a mighty people, they were nobodies. God was not up in heaven and he didn't look down and say, oh, I just have to have them. They're so wonderful. If I could just get that one into my kingdom, if I could only save him, he'd be a real treasure to my church. It wasn't that at all. We're all just worthless, unworthy sinners, unworthy of the least of his grace, but God set his love upon them. Let me read you a quick New Testament counterpart to this. Paul says about the same thing to the Corinthians, and they'll stand for us, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. How did you get in Christ? How did you come to be a believer? Was it because God saw you and said, oh, they're so lovely, I must have them? Now consider your calling, brothers, not Many of you were even wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Then why'd God choose you? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Come on, you got to be willing to say, that's me. Yep, that's me. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's me. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of his sovereign election, because of his grace, because of his love, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So you see what they were in the Old Testament. God didn't chose them because they were mighty. God chose them because he chose them, because he determined to. So we are in the new covenant. God didn't choose us because he really needed us in his kingdom to get his things done. He chose us because, well, because we were weak and we would shame the wise and we would shame the mighty and we would shame the strong. But we are, by the grace of God, his holy people and his treasured possession. Now let's pause right here and just say, what, what should this have done to them when God revealed this, when God gave them these words, when God said, look, I want you all to know you are holy to me and you are my treasured possession. Why is God telling them that? He's telling them for a reason. It's supposed to do something in them. What was it supposed to do? It's supposed to do the same thing in you and me, by the way. And here's what they should have done and here's what it was supposed to do. They should have been like, really? Us? Are you sure you got the right people? But really, us? We? I am one of your holy people? Of all the peoples you've set me apart to you? And, and I'm one of your treasured, like Steve's clock, I'm one of your treasured possessions? Really, Lord? Like, who am I that you would even notice your servant? I'm unworthy again of the least of your mercies. They should have marveled. They should have been in wonder and amazement, and they should have gloried in this, and it should have done something in them. They should have said, well, then, we want to be holy unto you. We want to be a possession that you can treasure. We want to be a people for your glory and honor and blessing and praise. This is what this should evoke in us today. That's a lot of what I'm about in this sermon, and it's what I'm after in this sermon, that you would wonder and glory and that it would evoke in you allegiance and faithfulness and honor and the desire to be a holy people as we are indeed a holy people. That's what this was supposed to do in them, and that's what I'm hoping this will do in us. Let's see more about the holy people. Chapter 14, Deuteronomy 14, the first two verses. You are the sons of the Lord 
your God. Let's just pause there. So he's, he identifies them this time as you are, you people are the sons. So there were the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and all, all the otherites. And they are in a sense the offspring of God. Paul in Acts 17 would call all peoples the offspring of God. But they would not be the sons of God. Sons of God is a special term for those chosen sovereignly by God that he would be their father and they would be his people. And in the Old Covenant, as a nation, God said, you are sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. These were religious rituals that the peoples of the land did. Don't do as they do. Why not? For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Again, God has a treasured chest. If you're in Christ, you're the treasure. If you're in Christ, you're in God's special treasure chest. He's adding believers to his treasure chest like a woman might add another piece of jewelry. He adds another believer. There's another one saved. Put him in my treasure chest. There's another one believing on Christ. Put him in my treasure chest. You are a holy people to the Lord. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You are. Now, I just want to tell you, there's a thing going on where I want to get up to Westminster sometime, somehow on a Thursday morning, but I work Thursday mornings. I'm off on Fridays. I take Friday off, but I work on Thursday mornings, and there's stuff i got to get done. But the reason I want to get up there is because I've been contacted by classmates, and there's a meeting of like, 15 to 20 of them on Thursday mornings at Panera where they all hang out, have coffee, and swap stories. And, and they're interested in me coming up there and telling them, well, what happened with the rest of my life? So what most of them know of me was I was not a believer, and they remember me and what I was like and all that. And I'm dying to get a Thursday morning where I can go up there and tell them what happened and how the Lord came into my life and what changed me and all of that. One of them knows I'm a pastor, and he asked me, what's the name of your church? I want to look it up online and, and hear you preach and stuff. He hasn't told me if he did. Maybe he didn't like it, and he did. I don't know. But anyway, I want to get up there. Why am I telling you that? Because out of all the peoples in my high school, how did I come to be saved? How come I got to hear the gospel? How come I believed on the Lord Jesus? So far as I know, not one of these characters I'm going to get to go see knows the Lord. One of their dads who died knew the Lord. He took me to the first Bible study I ever went to. So, uh, but, but the Lord, out of all the peoples in my high school, um, the Lord has, had chosen me by his grace to be a people, a person holy to him, and, and a treasured possession to God. What they were... We are Selah, which means think about it. <laughs> you are blessed if you even know the gospel, if you've, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are unbelievably blessed and treasured by the God of all the universe. It's amazing. More about these holy people. Let's skip ahead to chapter 26. It's a recurring theme. 26. And verse uh, 16 is where we'll start. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. 
And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Well, here we're seeing the same thing. You're holy to the Lord. Just get a t-shirt and have them print on there, holy to the Lord. That's your identity. That's who you are. Just let everybody know. I'm holy. I'm set apart to Jesus Christ. I saw a guy come in here this morning. There he is. He has Jesus on his T-shirt. What's he saying? I'm, I belong to the Lord. Just want to announce it to the world. I'm a follower of the Lamb. I believe in the Lord Jesus. Holy to the Lord and a people for his treasured possession. It's just amazing. So what have we seen? God is lavish in describing how he views his people and how he feels about his people. The terms he uses. He looks at you if you're in Christ and says, treasured possession. He looks at you if you're in Christ and says, set apart for me. All those other people, that one right there, set apart for me. That one's mine. Holy out of all people. We'll return to that, but now we're going to go on and we're going to add to this idea of being holy to the Lord, being a holy people. Now we're going to look at uh, the holy place. Holy people, holy place. And we have both. They had both. We have both. Now, let's go look a little bit at their holy place, and then we'll make some uh, uh, relationships to our holy place. Again and again, 21 times I counted in the book of Deuteronomy. I circled them all as I went. Started noticing, wait a minute, there's that again. There it is again. Where did I see it before? Go back, circle that one, circle that one, circle that And they're all circled. And there I found 21 of them where it talks about a holy place. There's an emphasis repeated in the book on you're a holy people and you have a holy place. So now we're going to look at the holy place, the place where they were to go and seek the Lord, where they were to go and gather, where they were to go and worship, where they were to go and offer their sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. We, we find it in Deuteronomy 12. Let's start there. And first he tells them you've got to get rid of some unholy places. This might relate to us getting rid of some unholy things that were in our lives and that are in our land. Get them out of your life. Deuteronomy 12.1. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places. There's going to be holy places, but there's unholy places that you need to destroy. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods. Where was that? Well, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. So they would take a tree and they would declare it to be a holy place, a place of worship, and they'd worship their gods there. They would go on a hilltop, high mountains and hilltops. They thought were, that's closer to our gods. That's a holy place. That's a place for worship. And they would go up there and worship. They would create physical structures, and they would be houses of worship. They did this on the high mountains and the hills and under trees and poles and things. God says, you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram. That's a little god carved out of stone or wood or something. And you shall burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. So... As you go into the land, there are places, and attached to those places are the names of the gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all those. 
And you're to get rid of those places and get rid of those names. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But, now here we go, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose. That phrase occurs over and over and over, one configuration or another, 21 times. Seek the place that the Lord your God should choose. When you get in the land, there's going to be a place. God's going to pick a city. God's going to pick a town. Go there. Gather with the people. Worship. Hear the scriptures read. You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. So there's going to be somewhere where God dwells, go to that place. There's going to be somewhere where God puts his name, go there. There's going to be a place of worship, go there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. Thank God that by grace we don't have any of that anymore. The Lord Jesus fulfilled all of that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So first... In chapter 12, he says, get rid of their places and seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. And then it comes up again and again in the chapter. And I won't bore you with them all. I'm just going to look at my Bible. The next thing that's cir circled is down in verse 11. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall bring all that I command you. Let's see, verse 13. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings. Go down to verse, uh, let's see, 18, something circled. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose. Verse 21. If the place that the Lord your God will choose to put his name there is too far from you, then you may kill something in the herd of you and offer it somewhere else. But again and again, seek the place. Let's see, there it is, verse 26, something circled. But the holy things that are due from you and your vow offerings you shall take and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose and there offer your burnt offerings and so on to the Lord. So just again and again and again, there's this place. I was going to read a lot more of them. Maybe I shouldn't at the risk of driving you insane, huh? It's, just, it, it's there. I go to chapter 16 and I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Are there any more in the next part? Six of them circled three times a year. All your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. Uh, for seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. So over and over and over again, he tells them, you're a holy people. You're a people who are a treasured possession to me. And I want you to gather and worship me at the place that I will choose. They didn't get to choose the place. We get to choose the place. They didn't get to choose the place. God said, there it is, go there, I want you to go there. Certain times I want all your males there, certain times I want you offering things there. Seek the Lord in that place. It's just over and over and over again. So for them, now here I have a quiz for you, all right? This isn't based on what it was just preached, but this is uh, on your general Bible knowledge. Who's good at Bible trivia? Any, anybody good at that? I think I'm probably horrible at that, but there are people who are good at that. So. When they entered the land, what was the name of the first city that became the place where the Lord put his name, the place they were to seek, the place where they were to go and offer and worship? Does anybody know? I, had to, I didn't know. I had to look it up. So I'm just telling you the truth here. 
I'm not, I'm not Mr. Bible Knowledge Man on this one. So what was the name of the city? Anybody know? Say it out loud. Oh, that sounds pretty good, but no. So it, we're not doing too good, and I'm right there with you. It was Gilgal. That was the first place where there was a tabernacle. First place they were to gather and worship. The, the Levites were there. The gatherings were there. The first place was Gilgal, and the ark was there, and the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was there in Gilgal. Oh, to have been able to visit old Gilgal, huh? What was the second place? You didn't know the first one. You probably don't know, and I didn't know the second one either, but anybody know? All right, it was Shiloh. Same thing, tabernacle, worship, God. So it was at Gilgal for a while, and then for various reasons it moved to another city, and that was the place that the Lord chose. I want my ark to go there now. I want the worship to be there now. And down through time, we lost track, really, in the text. We're not told what else happened. But eventually, the place becomes the one lasting and enduring and abiding place. And I think you all know what the name of that city was and is. What was it? Yeah, that's Jerusalem. Wasn't a trick question. Don't worry. Some of you were like, I'm not answering because I don't know. Uh-huh. No, it, was, it became Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the tent became a temple, and the temple in Jerusalem became the prominent and the permanent place, the place in which they were to gather and seek God and worship and offer sacrifices and rejoice before him. That's a recurring theme too, by the way, in Deuteronomy. God wanted them to come with glad hearts and rejoice before the Lord, and it was Jerusalem. Man, how I'd love, I've never been there. How I'd love to go to Jerusalem. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Raise your hand. So some of you, anyway, bless you, it's not fair. But anyway, I, I actually started thinking, maybe Debbie and I should take a trip to the Holy Land. So I'm like, hmm, be a thing for our 50th anniversary coming up. Hmm, all right. A little Bible study on Jerusalem, the place that they were to seek. You know where it first appears in the Bible? You wouldn't know and I didn't know. It was Genesis 14 where it's called Salem. And who was the king of Salem? This this prefiguration of Jesus Christ named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was king in Salem, which would later become Jerusalem. When does the name, the full name Jerusalem first appear in the Bible? I didn't know. I had to look it up. It's Joshua 10, verses 1 and 2. Here it is. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, he feared greatly. So there's Jerusalem, first time in the Old Testament, the city of God. Guess how many times, this is another guess, you get to guess. How many times do you think the name Jerusalem appears in the Old Testament? Say it, what do you think? No takers, not one in the room is brave today. 50? 50 times. Do I hear 55, anybody? All right, 667 times in the Old Testament. Let me, you want me to say the word Jerusalem 667? So we'll get it. No, you don't want that. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How many times does the name appear in the New Testament? You'll be surprised. 139 times Jerusalem. That's a total of, if I got my math right here, 806 times in the Bible the name Jerusalem. Not so many Gilgals, not so many Shilohs, but a whole lot of Jerusalem. Jerusalem became the place, and the holy people were to seek God in the city chosen by God. A little more history. Can you hang in there? A little more history about Jerusalem. It was in 588 B.C. that the king of Babylon came down and, and destroyed the temple, razed it, R-A-Z-E-D, left it in a heap of ruins. Incidentally, the, after that with the ark, 
was never seen again. Seventy years later, the people came back, and under Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra rather, pardon me, they rebuilt spiritually and 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 governmentally. They rebuilt the nation, but they were never very spiritually awake. So a little later in the time of Hosea, the Lord says this to them: Hosea one nine. And the Lord said, I "Have it for you, don't I?" And the Lord said, "Call his name not my people." What happens if somebody's born? What should we call? Call his name Lo-Ami is the Hebrew. Call his name not my people. Well, why should we call him that? For you are not my people, and I am not your God. So remember all the times in Deuteronomy where he says, you are my people and I'm your God. You're a holy people. You're set apart to me. You're my treasured possession. But we get not much later, and he says through Hosea, Lo-Ami, I'm, I'm dis." familying you what's the right term i don't know i'm unfamilying you you're no longer my people and i'm no longer your god and it pretty much remained that way and when jesus christ came in the fullness of time to die on the cross for sinners when their messiah came to them the religious of the leaders of the nation decisively rejected him god in the flesh matthew 20 chapter 23 is that woeful chapter Jesus pronounces seven woes, seven, the perfect number, seven woes on the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And then he speaks of Jerusalem, the city. Come back to the city. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. By the way, I just, it reminds me of great preacher George Whitfield, and he was such an orator. It was said that he was in the 1700s in England and in the United States, made many trips here and preached the gospel up and down the eastern seaboard. And it was said that he could pronounce the word Mesopotamia in such a way that it would make you cry. Oh, that I could pronounce Jerusalem in a way that would make you cry. Jesus did pronounce Jerusalem and said some things about it that should have made them cry. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city, notice how he describes them. The city that kills the prophets. This is his summary of Jerusalem. And stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. And now these horrific words. See, your house is left to you desolate desolate. Jesus says to Jerusalem and her leaders, desolate. Lo ami, not my people. The great Christian scholar D.A. Carson says that when he talks about your house, this means Jerusalem, this means Israel, this means the temple, it means all of that. And by the way, in the next chapter, Matthew 24, Jesus will foretell the soon coming destruction of Jerusalem. Like, I'm done with the city. The city's desolate. I don't need it anymore. I've died on the cross for sinners, and I'm building a new thing. And what's it called? It's the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he abandoned Jerusalem to the consequences of their deeds, and it was a holy place no more. What happened in A.D. 70? God, in his sovereignty, used and sent Titus and it was time again to sack the city and to, to cut down the temple, and it's never been rebuilt since. Just for a little more history, because I got interested, and maybe you are too. One of the big dates 
in Jerusalem's history was 1517. The Ottoman Empire conquered the region. They kept it right up till 1917 when the Brits conquered it. They kept it up till 1948 when it was returned to the Jews. Bless God for that. And Israel became a nation once more. But they're not a people after God's heart. And they're largely, they're, most of them don't believe in the Lord Jesus, their own Messiah. And there's no temple and there's no sacrifices. Current Jerusalem does not, I'm going to go out on a limb here and tell you, it does not qualify as the place that you should seek, as the holy city that it once was. No, it lost that status. And by the way, please do not read anything anti-Semitic into anything I'm saying. Let's have none of that. There's no room for any of that. We love all peoples on the planet, Amen. So nothing anti-Semitic in here, but we're just saying the plan has changed and it's no longer, that is no longer the place. It's desolate. And in fact, it was. He sent Titus to wipe it off the face of the earth. What happened then? Jesus Christ, when he was here, called out the true Israelites, the ones who had hearts for him, their Messiah, the ones who were the true believers, the ones who wanted to bow the knee and confess Christ as Lord. He called them out, and he started a new man with them. And, but he, then he started grafting Gentiles in with them, Paul saying, thus making one new man, breaking down the barriers between the two. And Christ came and said, Matthew 16, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And our marching orders to the end of the hour fill the church with baptized believers who are being taught to do everything the Lord commanded them. So we're going to go look at some New Testament texts and see how we are now what they once were. How the church, made up of Jews who are saved, with Gentiles who are saved, grafted in with them. How we are now what they once were. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you, and here the you, Greek can do this, the you is singular. So he's talking to you, believer. He's talking to you if you're born again. Talking to you if you're in Christ. Do you not know that you are God's temple? You, singular, you individually are the place. It's a movable place now. It's made of living stones. And that God's spirit dwells in you. You are God's dwelling place on the earth. If anyone destroys God's temple, some of them were messing up the church. God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Amazing words. What they were, you are. Who are you? I'm God's temple. Who are you? I'm God's dwelling place. We, by the grace of God, due to his sovereign election, are the holy people in the holy place. He turned the singular you to a plural you in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That Old Testament quote, Paul applies directly to us. That's you. What they were, you are. Again, in Ephesians, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Whoa, what they were, we are. You're a holy people and seek the place. We're a holy people and we are the place. 
We are the place individually. We are the place corporately. And we we are to go to the places and gather in them where believers gather together. This is so good, Peter can't resist. He needs a piece of this. And so he chimes in in 1 Peter 2. Look at verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Holy cow, Batman. Holy cow, new covenant believer. That's you. One more text from Peter, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Here it is, what they were we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, lo a me, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God in this new covenant age still has his holy people, his treasured possession, and his holy places, and they are all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you hanging with me all right? Can I take you to one more text today and then we'll wrap it up because the clock is not being very nice to me right now? What happens to the holy city, Jerusalem? What happens to the place and the people? The book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Here we are in eternity future. Here we are at the last day. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. This is curious. Watch it closely. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. What? There's a new Jerusalem? There is. Not the one that the Israelites possessed as their nation in 1941. Eight, that's the same old. There's a new Jerusalem. It's the holy city. And I saw it coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Hmm, in the New Testament, who's the bride adorned for her husband? That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the new people in the new place. And they are now the holy city, and they are the new Jerusalem. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And there's more of that in the book of Revelation, but there's not more of that in the clock. So we're going to stop right there. A couple of words in closing. So first I have a question for you. So we saw there's a special people, a holy people, a treasure possession, and they worship God in the place of his choosing. And I just want to ask you, are you one of those people? Have you bowed the knee and called upon the saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that God would no longer say of you, lo a me, not my people, no mercy, but God now says of you, my people set apart to me and holy, a treasured possession. Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented and turned to God that God would be your God? And have you found saving grace and mercy through the blood of the Lamb? That's one thing these passages ought to elicit from us, uh, to ask the question of ourselves, am I in Christ? Am I one of those people? You can be one of those people by grace through faith. Turn and believe and you become God's special treasure.
Here's a second thing in closing. Let's all then understand who we are. Just let it, let it, let it resonate with you. Let it shake you a little bit. Who am I? I'm a holy person set apart to God. Who am I? I'm his treasured possession. I'm part of it on the planet. Well, then let us act like it. Let us live like a holy people. Let us be a people that God can be glorified by, that God is blessed with. Let's be who we are and love him and be faithful and serve in his church and build up his church and lead people to Christ and value the church and esteem the church. Let's understand who we are. We're a holy people. Let's understand who we are. Here's the third thing. I already got into it, that we are now that special place. That special place was a type. This special place is the reality, but it's also a type. There comes another special place. That's heaven. That's the holy city. That's the new Jerusalem. So, funny way to close. If you're feeling like, well, who am I? Is anybody feeling like that? Who am I? I'm kind of nothing. Nobody will remember me. My grandchildren won't remember me, right? They'll go on and have their lives. And 50 years from now, will anybody ever remember anything that I ever did in my life, right? Somebody else is going to live in the house that I live in now, and they're never even going to know about me, but they're going to take my house and live there. Who am I? And our texts today have been answering for you, oh, you are holy to the Lord. You are treasured by God. And you will be, you are now and you will be the place where God puts his name. So doesn't matter if nobody ever remembers me. Doesn't matter if I never did anything that they're going to put a plaque up somewhere. Please don't put a plaque up somewhere in this building, all right? Maybe down in the woods, but not here. Doesn't matter. What matters is what happens at the last day, and at the last day, if you're in Christ, then you'll be God's treasure for eternity. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your presence and in your word. We pray that this may be a day of saving grace in this room, with our children downstairs, and with all who listen in online. We pray that the gospel may run in power and call sinners to the Lord Jesus. Father, would you encourage the hearts of your saints? You know us. Sometimes our hearts get weary and downtrodden. And we pray that these words from the text today would lift us up, would, would put joy in our life that we walk with Jesus Christ. And so fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us a people to your praise. For we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus with thanksgiving. Amen.